You're listening to Two Brain Radio. We make gyms profitable, getting you on track to making every day your perfect day. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf business tactics to help improve your gym, advance your fitness career, and move you closer to wealth. Get ready to start building your bigger and better business with your coach, best-selling fitness author of Two Brain Business, Grow Your Gym, and Help First, Chris Cooper. I linked up with Matt several months ago at Forever Fierce, and he had some fantastic ideas. And so he and I have put together a couple of packages that we think are really going to help CrossFit affiliates everywhere. Two Brain Mentoring clients use Matt almost exclusively. He's got fantastic designs, and he takes all the work out of it. All that time that you spend searching the internet and Pinterest and junk like that for great CrossFit t-shirts, you don't have to do that anymore. Matt has designs for you. You can put your logo on one of his templates, which are fantastic, and your clients will never know the difference. It saves you so much time that you could be using on other things like real marketing. He'll also go so far as to remind you when it's time to reorder. He'll give you suggested order sizes. He'll help you set up pre-orders so you're not even fronting the cash for the inventory. It's all amazing stuff built to help affiliates, and that's why I love this guy and this company, foreverfears.com. They do all the Catalyst shirts, all the Two Brain shirts, all the Ignite Gym shirts. They do everything for every business that I own. LinkedIn has always been an attractive puzzle for me. I have this impression, rightly or wrongly, that people who are on LinkedIn are more professional than those on Facebook. Therefore, they make more money, and therefore, they're probably a more attractive audience for my advertising dollar. And so I've always wondered, how can I buy ads on LinkedIn the exact same way that I would on Facebook, but attract the right people? I really do think that entrepreneurs especially are great target audiences for CrossFit gyms, for example. Entrepreneurs need coaches. They don't have time to waste trying to figure out what kind of workout to do or how to motivate themselves or how to work out intensely. They need to just show up, put on their shoes and get told exactly what to do. But how do we get to those people? Well, I always felt like LinkedIn was a big missed opportunity. And so for the last couple of years, I have been searching for a LinkedIn ads expert. As you can imagine, they are few and far between, but AJ Wilcox is widely regarded as one of the best in the world. He's the founder of B2 Linked. He has managed millions of dollars of ads on LinkedIn for different clients. He's a speaker. He travels. He talks about this stuff all the time, and he was generous enough to give us a half hour today to talk about what you need to be doing on LinkedIn. Uh, what kind of ad strategy you should pursue if you have $15,000 a month to spend and what kind of ad strategy you should pursue if you have $0 a month to spend on LinkedIn. We also talked about how much of your time you should be devoting to LinkedIn instead of just your time on Facebook because I don't just want you to get pulled into one more thing that takes up more and more of your day and gets you home past your kid's bedtime. So AJ is here to give us a very concise explanation with very thorough answers to very specific questions about everything you need to know about LinkedIn. AJ Wilcox. AJ Wilcox, welcome to Two Brain Radio. Thanks so much, Chris. Excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I, there's so many questions, but I'd love to just start with why LinkedIn? Like, What yet led you to the platform and, and why are you so big on it now? Well, I'll tell you what got me so excited about LinkedIn because I've had a profile basically since college. But I've been doing digital marketing for about 12 years and about 
seven years ago, I, I got recruited by a larger tech company here in the state of Utah where I'm from. They were venture funded. It was a really cool opportunity. And so I go and talk to my CMO on the very first day of, of work, my new boss, and I laid out all of my different marketing channels and plans that I wanted to do. And I remember her saying, okay, all that sounds great. Go ahead and execute. But just so you know, we started a pilot using LinkedIn ads. So see what you can do. And of course, to her, I said, yes, ma'am, absolutely, saluted and walked out of her office. And I got out and went, holy crap, I've been doing this stuff for like five years at this point. I've never even heard of LinkedIn ads. They must suck. And so I, I, I went, and, but I didn't want to look stupid to my brand new boss. So I went and dove into the platform and started trying to figure things out. And about two weeks later, I had one of my new sales guys come up and he said, AJ, we don't know what you're doing over here, but we are fighting over your leads. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I went and logged into the CRM. It was Salesforce at the time. And I started looking at the leads that he was talking about. And every single one of them that he was talking about was sourced from LinkedIn ads. And I went, whoa, this is not the only marketing channel I'm using. Um, so I, I realized there was something to it. And I continued to invest, continued to invest. And I actually grew that particular ads account to become LinkedIn's largest spending customer. And so after running the, their largest spending customer for about two and a half years, I went, okay, there's got to be something here. More companies can can use this rather than just this one that I'm working for. So I, I went and started BT Linked. That's amazing. So just for our listeners, I want them to have a really easy way to picture this. And I think almost everybody who listens to this show, a couple thousand people a week are familiar with Facebook ads, right? What's the difference yeah, so LinkedIn has all of your professional information. So if you can imagine anything that you'd need to be able to target someone professionally, knowing you know their job title, their level of seniority, their location, their individual skills that they have, or groups that they're members of, company size, company industry, I mean, all of these types of things, and that was just probably a third of them, there's a ton more. So LinkedIn has exactly the right way to reach business people, and in exchange for the best targeting in the world around businesses, they, they charge a lot. So on, on average, the cost per click on LinkedIn is going to be like six to $9. Whereas on Facebook, you might see it, you know, regularly between one to $3, depending on who that audience is. So the targeting is so much better, but then cost is so much higher as well. Um, so I, I can go into more depth there, but that's probably probably where you want to be thinking. Yeah. So uh, the first thing that always crosses my mind and and the reason that I've always been intrigued by LinkedIn is like my target audience is on there already, right? Like the people who are really budget conscious about paying for a gym membership, they're probably not responding to LinkedIn ads anyway. Yeah. I I think, I mean, when it really comes down to it, the same people that are on LinkedIn are also on Facebook. Like, okay. The people are the same in both places, but it's when, when they're on LinkedIn, they're thinking about their job or their career. So they're in that professional mindset. Whereas on Facebook, you're probably catching them while they're going to look at pictures of grandkids or maybe looking to play Farmville or something like that. So (laughs) a little bit of a difference in in the mindset, but if you can reach someone on Facebook, it's probably going to cost less, but challenge is if you want to reach someone from a professional standpoint on Facebook, it's really hard. People just aren't putting professional stuff in their profile. Whereas LinkedIn had all of that data from day one that you signed up with your very first profile. Wow. And so just so people have a sense of how much you know and how deep you are in LinkedIn, you guys have managed four of LinkedIn's top 10 accounts, spent over $110 million on the platform. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people apparently competing in this space, but yeah, we're 
we've done a lot with LinkedIn ads. We hyper specialized and it's a lot of fun. As far as, as people competing in the space, like I don't actually see a lot of ads in my LinkedIn feed. Is that something that LinkedIn does on purpose or is it just that people are underutilizing the platform? Yeah, I think it's a little combination of things. Uh, number one, if you look in your newsfeed, you'll notice about every fifth or sixth item in your newsfeed is an ad. And the other ads are things that are just kind of off to the side that you'd only notice if you were looking for them. So they've done a good job of understating and not necessarily overwhelming their, their user because they, they don't want to make people upset. Whereas I think everyone recognizes the, the belly fat ads on Facebook and you, you see quite a bit of that kind of stuff. So I, I think they've done that. And then they've also purposely tried to, I mean, by giving you this amazing targeting, they've let the companies who are targeting you because of who you are. So they're giving you relevant ads that you don't necessarily mind seeing. That's very, very interesting. So when I'm getting, if I'm going to get started on LinkedIn ads, and I'm a owner operator, service-based business, you know, what are some, when should I think about LinkedIn over Facebook? There's an acronym and that's, I'll get to answer your question here in okay. just after getting past the acronym. So the acronym that I use whenever I'm thinking about doing any sort of social advertising, it's called AMO and it stands for audience message and offer. And obviously it's missing an M from ammunition, but you'll get the idea. It's nice and easy to remember. Uh, the audience, you've got to be able to target who your audience is on whatever platform it is. So you might say, I absolutely love Twitter ads, but if you can't nail down exactly who your target market is on there, then it's probably not worth no matter how cheap you can get it for. Hmm. So make sure that whatever platform you're looking at, it has your audience. So if you're targeting people by who they are professionally, realistically, LinkedIn's going to have like a 95% ability to reach that audience to fully penetrate it. Whereas Facebook might only have a four or 5% ability to reach that audience versus if you're going after a business to consumer audience, maybe Facebook can reach, you know, 95% of them and LinkedIn can only reach like, you know, 10 or 20%. So, so you've got to get the audience piece right. The next is your message, figuring out what it is you want to actually say, what you're going to show to them. And that's not such a big deal usually. What is the big deal though is the offer. So the O, this is what you're actually going to give to someone to get their attention. And you know we're paying a lot of money for LinkedIn ads. So if we show something that's just like, here, read our latest blog post, we're going to pay six to $9 to get someone to start reading our blog post. And there's not going to be a really strong call to action in a blog post. That's just not where people are likely to convert. So you'll probably end up with a really high cost per lead. And if you go to the very opposite end of the spectrum here, you go towards something like, you know, here, talk to our sales rep you know, take a demo, uh, start a trial, those kind of offers there. No one's going to be willing to actually click on that ad because you're asking so much. It's like on a cold touch, you know, it's like on a first date asking for marriage. And so no one will click those ads. They'll eventually just shut off. So what kind of offer can you give someone that provides a ton of value up front and you're not asking for a whole lot in, in exchange. And in business to business, the majority of what we see here are things like free guides and free webinars and free in-person events, something where you're going to get a lot of value out of it and break the ice. We're going to start a relationship and a relationship that may in the future have some sort of you know, ability to have a sales conversation, but that doesn't come yet. First, we're going to create a relationship. Now, you've mentioned a few times that LinkedIn is a little bit more expensive and in your LinkedIn profile you're saying that for accountants spending over $100,000 per month, we double your leads in the same budget in the first two months on average. 
that's amazing. A hundred thousand dollars a month is also pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we we obviously manage a lot of accounts that are smaller than that too, but I wanted to showcase that metric because that's literally a hundred percent increase in efficiency just because the platform is difficult to use. And there are a lot of tips and tricks and things that we've learned that we can use. But yeah, I think what we've found is if you're not willing to invest at least about, we'll call it three to $5,000 a month into LinkedIn ads, you're probably not going to notice the business impact. And we've noticed by taking clients on that are smaller than that, that they tend to cancel at a higher rate. And so what we say is, you know what, save your money, wait until you do have three to 5,000, because we, we know in that, in that range is usually where after a month of advertising, you're going to have enough data to have your results be statistically significant. So by the end of month one, I can say, here, Chris, this is working and this is exactly what you can expect in the future or no, this is absolutely not working. You should fire us. And what happens if something isn't working after a month or two? Yeah, we, we tell people to fire us. I mean, we can definitely <laughs> give you, we can give you an idea of like, here's what we think would improve this. But if we look at it and go, you know what, it's, it's not working it doesn't look like you will realistically receive a return on your investment here. Let's call this really good learnings and cut bait. Okay. So let's say that I am eager to spend the money on LinkedIn. Okay. And I am, let's say that I'm a newer entrepreneur. I don't have three to $5,000 a month. Is there anything I can do on the platform in the meantime? Yeah, there's a ton of things you can do because people tend to spend a lot more time on LinkedIn than they have in the past. Back Hmm. in 2014, I would say LinkedIn was just a place that you would go to update your resume every six months or only when you were looking for a job, you'd go and spend time there. But today, if you go and look in your newsfeed, there's going to be a ton of your contacts who are actively sharing things that that they're working on and things that they've learned. So there's some really cool stuff going on there. And because people are spending time there, there, it's actually a really great opportunity to, to just get to know people. If you are doing, if you're working on what I consider the organic side of LinkedIn, uh, you're not paying that six to $9 a click for LinkedIn to make that connection. And you can use the search bar. You can go and find the right people and you can reach out to them with a customized connection request and say, Hey, I'd really like to connect with you because, and then you give them a good reason to connect. And then after that, you have all of this conversation for free. Oh, so you're not talking about like in mail where you're paying to start the conversation. Yeah. And you definitely can. You could buy the more expensive LinkedIn profile that gives you a certain amount of in-mails. And for anyone who doesn't know, this is just the ability to send someone an email who's outside of your, your current network. Some people probably have success with that. What I've found though, is you can send anyone a connection request for free. And if you can tell someone, here's why I want to connect with you, that's going to be a lot more powerful than just a cold, Hey, we're not connected and we may never not be connected here, but here, buy my product or service. So I, I much approach, I, I much uh, prefer the, the softer approach there. Okay. So give me an example, AJ. Like, let's say that I'm, I'm starting a new business. I'm a, I'm a new attorney and I'm looking for professional clients. I know they're all on LinkedIn. You know, what would your first step be? You want to talk organic or paid on this one? Let's start with organic. Okay. So on organic, what I would do is I would figure out my, my branch of law, who the best type of customer is for me. And so if I'm doing business law and I'm working with, with tech companies with, you know, 50 or more employees, I would go to LinkedIn and I would do this search. I would look for owner, founder, entrepreneur, partner, 
types of job titles mm -hmm. in my area with company size of 50 and above. And I would start to systematically reach out to each of those people, find something I have in, in common with them, find some reason why I would feasibly want to be connected, and then begin to have a conversation over time. So this isn't going to be, hey, I'm so glad we're connected. Here's my sales pitch. It's going to be, hey, I, I read this article the other day, thought of you uh, in your industry, would love to hear what you think. And you have a conversation three or four times back and forth. And what's inevitably going to happen is at that point when you've just given, you've just provided, you've been a giver, at some point they're going to, the relationship's going to feel imbalanced. And they're going to say, hey, I've never asked about you. You know, what do you do? How do you make money? What's What's your specialty? And that'll give you a chance to actually share. And a lot of times it's this, uh, this element of serendipity where someone goes, oh, that's really interesting that you practice business contract law. We just got rid of our in-house counsel and we're looking for some help. You know, wow. it, it, that serendipity feels very powerful. It sure does. Wow. So let's say that I am a CrossFit gym owner and I want to find my way into Boeing. Boeing's got a, an office building across the street. I want to get all their clients in my gym and I don't have $5,000 to start with. So I, I could think, I find people with the invoice? Oh, definitely. And I think there's a, a case to be made for that, both from, from the paid side and the organic. But if you're going at it with zero budget, your goal is really to just make a relationship there. So figure out whatever you can do to get in with the human resources development, the learning and development. I mean, any branch of Boeing that you think might have access to some sort of health and wellness type of aspect to their employees. And you look to create a relationship with them and see what you can do for them and what you can provide. And if you work this right, this isn't just a sales pitch that you're going to give. This is a relationship that you're going to have for the rest of your business career. So definitely think long-term on this one. Think I'm going to have a relationship with this person where at some point they're going to say, oh, you're right. That's an absolute no-brainer to offer an on-site CrossFit gym inside of the Boeing headquarters. Okay. How would you approach this from the paid side? Uh, from paid, it's actually really simple because LinkedIn allows you to target by company name, uh, by industry, by company size. And so what you can say is, hey, if you are an HR manager or above at any company with more than 10,000 employees in this region or, or, or scratch uh, the size of company, you can say at this list of companies that I've given you, I've given you Boeing, I've given you all these others, show these ads only to them. So you may not spend very much money, but the only people who are going to see your ads are exactly the right people who are going to be making that really, really impactful decision. And you can use that to start the conversation. Would you say that like very small uh, audience targeting is easier on LinkedIn than on Facebook or Instagram? Uh, yes, definitely. The challenge is is it really worth your time to come up with these audiences? Because you're going to spend just as much time setting up these ads and managing them if you're targeting an audience of you know, 600 people as 6,000 people or 60,000 people. It's the same amount of work. So you might find that, hey, I went and set up this, this audience and I'm really hoping to get Boeing, but this only spent you know, $9 last week. Oh, man, is this even worth my time watching? Of course, anytime a lead comes in, it's going to be very well worth your, your effort and time, but you'll have to balance that with your own risk and time tolerances. That's very interesting. Okay. So um, what are some other strategies that people can use just to get started and maybe just practice the art of advertising on LinkedIn? 
Well, I've actually got an offer because we've, we talked to a lot of people who are interested in LinkedIn ads and not all of them can afford to work with a, an agency like ours. And so because of that, I created a checklist and it's the same eight point checklist that our team uses when we onboard a new client. And this is just the things that you can keep in mind. So if you want to access this, go to b2linked.com slash checklist. And it's absolutely free. Uh, if you don't tick that box that says, yeah, I want someone to contact me, you'll never hear from us ever again. The checklist is really meant for you to just go and have success on the platform. And it's going to walk you through things like make sure that you have an ads account or you get access to it. Make sure you have a company page already. Make sure you have some imagery to work with and your landing page is ready, that type of thing. Oh, that is awesome. Okay, we're going to list, we're going to link to that in the show notes too. But just in case you're driving and you pulled over and you want to click on that right now, it's B to the number linked.com forward slash checklist. That's right. Fantastic. Okay, I'm so glad that you offered that up, AJ. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make on LinkedIn? I think it's really easy if you know who your audience is to just stick them all into one big group. A lot of times I'll see someone who goes, oh, our buying committee, we, we know that the CEO always signs off on this. And we know that the CFO is always the one writing the check. And we know that the marketing manager is the one who feels the pain. So let's create a campaign and stick the job titles for the CEO, the CFO, the marketing manager, all within this one campaign. And the reason why this is problematic is over time, you might find that that campaign performs really well or really poorly. But regardless of how it performed, there's no way for you to know what lever you can pull to either improve or you know, what's going to ruin the campaign because it's, it's just one big glob and that glob reacts a certain way. However, if you go and create three separate campaigns, you create one that's just the CEOs, one that's CFOs, and one that's marketing managers in, in this instance, you'll find that one of them performs really well, one performs super poorly, and one does okay. And if you wouldn't have broken them out, you wouldn't have known that one of those was really dragging you down. So split them up, keep them separate so that you can compare against each other, and then you know what you can scale up, scale back, or pause entirely. And how often do you shift these campaigns? Like if you're tracking and seeing like, oh, you know, this one isn't performing well. Do you give it three days like you would on Facebook? Do you give it longer, shorter? The nice thing about LinkedIn is there's not a whole lot of AI or machine learning that's happening in the background. Ah. So what we've found is when we launch something on Facebook, if it's exactly the same thing we've launched in the past, we know this is going to be successful. I've done this before with a video views campaign. I know that this video was performing and, and only costing like half a cent per three second view. When wow. I go to relaunch it, Facebook is going to run through and they're going to charge me a lot. So the first three days, I'm going to pay like, like three and four cents per, per three second view until they realize, yeah, this is working and start charging me less. LinkedIn is really simple right from the get go. You're pretty much during the first you know, the first day or two, you're going to pay about the same amount as you can expect to pay throughout the duration of the campaign. So why do you think more people aren't using LinkedIn for ads? I think it's really scary. I mean, if you look at it and go, wow, each click costs two or three times more than I'm used to paying over here on Facebook. That's a lot of risk on a marketing manager. If you can imagine if you're the marketing manager who goes to your CMO and says, I think we should take a chance on this platform and it's expensive. So if there's a mistake, it's going to be expensive mistake and it's going to make me look bad. I, I think that's a really hard proposition for someone to decide. It's a lot easier just to stay um, you know, mainstream, do the things that are best practices that everyone else is doing, and then do small little tests. I think that's uh, probably the reason why we don't hear more about LinkedIn. 
But what we do see is that Facebook ads are now, the prices are going up triple digit every quarter percentages. And so it's not going to be very long before Facebook B2B clicks are costing two, three, four, five dollars. And when they get into that range, it's going to be a pretty much a no brainer to say, oh yeah, I'll I'll pay a dollar or two more to be spending on LinkedIn where my targeting is a lot better. Yeah. and, And so that's B2B. It seems obvious. What are some some campaigns or some good ideas you've seen for business to consumer on LinkedIn? Well, business to consumer is a little bit tougher on LinkedIn because if if you're going to pay six to $9 a click, there aren't a whole lot of products out there that have significant enough margin that you can, you can do that with. So, Mm The elements of B2C that I've seen work really well on LinkedIn ads are things like recruiting because you can target someone by the job title or the skills that they have because you need those for your company and everyone's interested to know what they're worth. So everyone will click on that ad, even though it's kind of B2C. You also have higher ed. So if you're an MBA or a PhD program in in higher education looking to recruit, you can target people by their level of education, where they went to school, what degree they got, what degree they don't have yet. And that can work really well. Otherwise, I try to stay away from B2C on LinkedIn. Well, I, I mean, for two brain, we're a B2B company. And so, you know, we do publish a lot of content, but if I were trying to get people from LinkedIn to come and try CrossFit at my gym or to book a free consultation, is there a piece of content that you would predict would probably perform pretty well? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, when it comes down to content, the, the two things I'm always trying to keep in mind are number one, what is their, my customer's greatest pain point? And what is their greatest curiosity? And so if, if I went and talked to, I mean, maybe you, maybe you are the one who's talking to the customer, so you already know this, but I counsel our clients to go to their sales department and say, give me a list of the frequently asked questions. Every single call, what's the one thing that everyone's like, okay, but you've got to tell me this. Like, this is my biggest pain point, or this is what I'm, I'm most curious about. If you can build content around that. So maybe for, for your customers, if you're, if you're going B2B, maybe it's something like, uh, here are the top five benefits that we've seen when companies introduce a CrossFit plan for their employees or the top four things you can do to reduce your benefits, your benefits bill, how much you pay for your benefits. And, you know, let's say point three on there is implement an exercise program inside the company. And, you know, and you're the obvious answer for that. So be thinking of creative ways where you can be the answer that solves their biggest pain point. Okay. And I, I think it's probably important for the gym owner to know also that the people who are looking at this ad on LinkedIn are trying to solve a corporate problem, right? So it's not like lose belly fat fast. It's, you know, reduce your premiums. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And mm-hmm. one thing that's really nice about if you're going to be tackling LinkedIn ads and you have been tackling Facebook ads, uh, Facebook is really particular about the types of ads that they'll allow on there. Like you can't show any, any fit bodies on there. Cause they'll say that that's telling people what the ideal body shape should be. Uh, LinkedIn just doesn't have a whole lot of that. They're, they're a lot more lenient about what you can have in the ad itself. It's really interesting, especially now because not only have lead costs gone way up on Facebook recently, but they've also cracked down a ton on imagery that you can use in fitness type ads. And so uh, people who are running a successful ad one day will see the ad decline the next day and, and have to start from scratch. Yeah, it's yeah. really frustrating as the, as the business owner going, wait, this was this channel that I was really banking on. Like yeah. I, I was invested here and it just evaporated overnight. 
Do you see the growth of LinkedIn increasing over time or are people moving to, you know, like Alignable, for example, seems to be a carbon copy to me, but I get invite requests or invites from Alignable all the time. Yeah, it's really exciting for me to see what's actually happening with LinkedIn right now, because really before this, it's always been the network that you come back to as your corporate Rolodex. When you want to remember, uh, who was that person I met two years ago that does insurance? Let me go and look them up and see. I don't know that I'm supposed to share this statistic, but I'm, I'm going to share, assuming that maybe someone on LinkedIn is, is not listening right now. I think they're seeing something like a 40% more time spent by each user in the newsfeed. So, and that's a year over year growth. So if you can imagine every year they're spending 40% more time on the platform and this just continues to grow. So this is really exciting to me. This is people who are actually going to spend time networking and learning and sharing that you'll have access to because you're there. Do you see more posts now about with educational content, I guess, that aren't ads, people just making blog posts to update their audience or, or people uh, actually trying to educate others on LinkedIn? I do see a lot of that. It used to be that people, that was their content marketing strategy was Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put out blog posts like crazy and you know, one out of every hundred is going to go nuts. So I'm just going to keep creating until I hit that, that one that goes nuts. I, I think people have realized now that that gets a little bit boring. So we're seeing a lot more people who are varying their approach. So you're not just going to see someone saying, hey, this is the third blog post I wrote today. They're going to be saying things like, hey, I read this interesting article. Check it out. This is what I learned from it. Oh, and then I, I, learned, I, I, I wrote this article. Oh, and I was a guest on this podcast. Oh, I'm speaking at this event next Thursday. Make sure you come. And I think that's what really gets people more, I guess, there's a lot more social proof around you when, when mm. you're varied and you can do all those things. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners are probably laughing at my expense right now because I publish a blog post every single day and it always goes on LinkedIn. But <laughs> do you think that the social proof, you know, in a professional sense is more important on LinkedIn than it is on other platforms? I think social proof is okay. so, so important. Uh, on Facebook, social proof could be your mom and your aunt liked your post. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on LinkedIn, these are professionals. These are people who who vote with very large wallets. And so I, I do. I think when someone likes or someone comments on your post on LinkedIn, I think it just inherently means more. And do you think that people on LinkedIn are a little bit more critical of the ad stuff that they see? That's a good question. Potentially. I, I think you're talking to an audience that's more tech savvy and they're a little bit more social savvy as well. And so you're not going to find people who go through and just hit like on, on an ad or on a post just because, just because it's part of what they do. They're, they're only doing it when there actually is interest. So I I think it's a cleaner network that way. Yeah. I was going to say there might be an added degree of skepticism too. I, I mean, so you don't have that overt filter of lose belly fat fast isn't allowed on Facebook. But on the other hand, you have a, a more skeptical audience. Yeah. And we see this at, uh, in the average click-through rates. The average click-through rate of an, an ad in LinkedIn's user feed is about a third of a percent. And on Facebook, it's about 1%. And you can imagine, you might say that that's a bad thing that LinkedIn has a lower click-through rate, but I'm only paying when someone clicks and I'm only targeting the most qualified people. So I would much rather not have someone click on my ad who was just halfway curious. Um, I I would much rather that someone who was more serious clicked on my ad. That's super cool, AJ. All right, man. You're a busy guy. What's one big, you know, success story that you think our, our listeners would love hearing about LinkedIn? 
Well, I'll share it with you a case study that doesn't necessarily make, make me look very good, but, <laughs> but I think it, it illustrates a really important point. So we were working with, with uh, some software. It was an HR software. Uh, it, it helps HR professionals do, do their job better. And they came to us with five different offers. These were things like free white papers and eBooks. And so we tested through all five of these things and every single one of them was turning up like low conversion rates, expensive cost per conversion. And I thought for sure after two or three months, we were going to lose this client. So what happened is, you know, we kept testing and testing and testing, couldn't get our cost per conversion under about $130. And if I came to you and said $130 cost per download of an asset, you'd be like, yeah, you'd be fired. But, <laughs> but they came out and said, hey, we just developed this new asset. It's, uh, it's entitled the Ultimate Guide to Onboarding. And we were like, okay, no big deal. And so went ahead and, and launched this ad. Overnight, we were getting like a $35 cost per conversion and it lasted. I mean, usually an asset will last until people are like, yeah, I've seen that before. You know, I saw that last month, but this asset lasted for three, four, five months and didn't really degrade in its performance. So overnight, just because the asset itself really solved the pain point, we went from borderline getting fired to this is fantastic. We want to work with these guys forever. That's awesome. So to sum up, I mean, you know, if you're working on LinkedIn, number one, you have to have a little bit more money to spend, but it might be better spent because your audience would be a lot tighter. Second, you really want to have some kind of asset, like a free guide, a free webinar, or like a free in-person event to test out. And the best organic thing that you can do on Facebook or on LinkedIn is help first. Introduce yourself to people and do things that can help them out. That's exactly how I'd word it. What did I miss, AJ? I don't know. That that seems like the right rules. It's anytime you're in social media, you've got to provide value first and then Mm -hmm. realize that that if you're a marketer, you obviously have to make money off of this. So make sure that the value ties back to you and that and that it provides enough value that someone's willing to fill out their information and engage in a conversation. I think if you do that, you're doing it right. Oh, that's awesome. Hey man, thanks a lot for giving us 40 minutes of your time. I know it's extremely valuable. Well, thank you, Chris. It's a huge pleasure to be on your show. So bring me back for round two whenever. (laughs) I will do that. Thank you very much. All right. I'm here. Brian, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you, Greg? I'm good. So welcome to Two Brain Stories. Will we go through a struggle or success uh, so that we can lead others in the right direction, whether you're going through it currently or you have gone through it, to give them better tips and tricks on how to get through maybe a struggle they're going through. So, Brian, welcome to the show. You are the owner of CrossFit Jungle Gym, Jungle Gym. which I yep. love. I love that name. So that's a perfect name. So yeah. welcome to the show. Let's uh, kind of get in a little bit of background about you and the business, and then we'll jump into your story. Okay. So uh, a little bit of background. So I've been an athlete basically my my entire life. Uh, so, you know, I, through sports, I've, I've always trained, power lifted, body built, basically every type of training modality that there was I've, I've done. And sort of by the time um, I got to college, like I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I, I ended up playing college baseball and discovered there that training was, you know, training teams or individuals, athletes, non-athletes, just training people is what I wanted to do. So I ended up getting a degree in human health performance from the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. And there, that's when I started, like, as soon as my baseball career ended, like, literally the next day, CrossFit was the thing for me. And, you know, from there, I started training at a Globo gym. That's where I met my wife, Vanessa. And that's where, you know, CrossFit Jungle Gym was sort of, sort of got started, was in a, in a Globo gym. 
but we basically didn't have the opportunity to you know train people the way that they needed to be trained or at least how we felt they needed to be trained and there was nobody in the area that was doing what we were doing so we said we got to figure out a way to make it happen and so we were both training at Hamilton Fitness Center full time, and um, well, I quit and took a job at One Eight Hundred Got Junk, and trained like people at five o'clock in the morning at home. And you know, Vanessa at the time she she took a part time job um, at a hospital, like in the dietetics department. And uh, you know, we were just bootstrapping it. We had fifty bucks. We got an LLC, and that was basically where it started. Got a couple pieces of equipment and and just built from there. And uh, it was just basically on grit and passion, more or less, and it looks a lot different today. But uh, that's that's basically where it all started. Excellent. Excellent. So let's get into the story today. I definitely wanted to bring you on because I know you are ton- you have tons of stories, but let's let's kind of get into the story. What, what did you want to share with everybody today? Well, I, I think the thing for us was like, we never knew exactly what was what was going to be the the way to do it we just we just knew we had to and so i think you know i guess when i came out this way so i'm not originally from new jersey i'm from wisconsin and i when i was graduating college it was kind of like i'm just up for an adventure and i'm like i'm going to go somewhere and figure it out as i go and it's like when i first moved out here i didn't even have a car <laughs> well <laughs> i had a bike wow. so I, I was riding to and from work 10 miles each way and, you know in the personal training field is like you're riding in for the early early client and uh riding back after the late late client so just it was more or less like figuring it out and you know all along the way like hey we got 50 bucks let's start <laughs> let's start our own business and we'll we'll work and make money doing something else in the meantime and i think like just all along the way it was like we never knew exactly how we were going to do things we just kept doing it and uh as long as we had money to but to make it better, we just kept doing that. And, uh, you know, we're still doing that today. And like, you know, when we first started, it was, you know, I got 50 bucks, go buy a couple of things that you can train people at home. And, you know, then we put that money towards some barbells. And then we were, by the time it was, by the time it got cold out, we need a place to train that wasn't at people's homes or in the park. And, you know, it just kept building from there. And it was at no point, you know, like it now looks like what we envisioned it looking like, and we had no idea how we were going to do it. Just kept one step closer every time. And I think like the, our entire story is the story. Like we went through many different phases of the business and each time it was just about making it a little bit better each day. Like, so I, I think the, the journey is, is long and you don't know what's going to happen, but just keep showing up and you know, if you have a vision in mind, if you keep going after it, eventually you're going to get there. Excellent. My, uh, so let's get into what, what forced you to move or what, what caused you to want to say, okay, New Jersey is where we're, where we're going to stop. (laughs) What was that like? So like, that was more or less a personal journey. So Vanessa's from New Jersey. Funny, funny enough, I was, you know, as I was finishing up my degree, it was, you know, in human health performance, uh, I needed an internship. So my idea was I was going to, you know, do strength and conditioning at an MMA gym. You know, I had connections in the area. Like Whitewater is close to my my home. I had an old wrestling coach who owned an MMA gym. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go there. I'm going to train. And then I'm going to, you know, work these guys out. And, you know, my college counselor was like, hey, he has a degree in marketing, not in human health performance or exercise science or nutrition or anything. Like it doesn't relate. So you got to find something else. 
So I said, screw it. I'll go find a paid internship. And there was one of those in Virginia, <laughs> which is kind of a, a distance. But I was like, oh, what the hell? I'll go do it. Met a friend down there that lived up this way and came up this way after my internship. And by the time I met Vanessa, it was it was over. So I know that I was here. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was kind of a it was an interesting journey, but it was really I was just up for anything, just out to adventure more or less. So so you were working at one eight hundred junk. You no longer, yeah. I'm guessing, are doing that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That was a um, short stint. What so what's the transition been like from working a, a normal job or even after that internship to running the gym full time? What um, does that transition look like? So I made the transition from full time personal trainer to I'm gonna work what was supposed to be 40 hours a week and then train on the side, you know, build from there. So I got into 1-800-GOT-JUNK and it was like, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> like I was working like 60 hours a week and not making that great of money. I mean, it was okay. Like made tips and stuff, but it's like, really, I was like, this is getting in the way of me doing what I'm really trying to do. So like, making a transition out of there to a different job where I had truly a 40 hours and you're just done transitioned actually to a security job where it was like, I basically had no responsibilities and I did the programming, the, all the research doing that. By the time we got to the gym to the point where like, it was like, we have enough profit, just enough to make my monthly bills, which at the time was like $1,100, <laughs> which is like mind boggling to think that, you know, I had such low bills at the time, <laughs> but by the time we got to that point, it was kind of like, well, I can do it. And Vanessa and I, at that point, were in a pretty serious relationship. So it was like, Vanessa said, Hey, I'll support, support you and things, you know, if, if we absolutely need it and made the transition out. And then we just kept growing from there. Like once I was there full time and spent a lot more time working on the gym stuff. And now we're, we're a pretty good spot, but it was, it just took, took a lot of time took longer than I guess I was hoping, <laughs> but, but you know, that's sort of the, we're going to figure out how to get it done attitude that we had all along. What do you feel like caused you to, uh, to be so patient in that process? Cause I mean, it is a long, it is a long time. Some people assume that, Hey, uh, we're going to, we're going to be profitable in two months and everything's going to go great. And I'll have thousands of members and coaches and everything will be where I want it to be. But it's not realistic all the time. So what, what caused you to be persistent and continue moving forward? You know, in my particular instance, like not, you know, we're still working on Vanessa full time, but for me, you know, this is, this is what I do. I mean, I human health performance major, you know, I was an athlete my whole life. I really enjoyed coaching and like, I didn't really, to be honest, like I'm, incredibly passionate about it. Like doing something else is not in my mind really an option. I mean, if I had to, I would, but it was like passion. And then knowing that just from working at one global gym, knowing that my earning potential is so much lower with some, with somebody else as my employer that I knew I had to make it, I had to make it happen for me and for my family. Not like I had to make it, I had to make it work. <laughs> there was no choice in my mind, you know, for enjoyment of my life, for the financial portion of of career like I knew I had to make it work and like I've spent a lot of a lot of moments sleepless nights you know hours and hours on end making that happen and I just I knew that it had to happen I guess is probably really it 
That's perfect. And it sounds, so it sounds like the whole journey was, I mean, you moving to, I mean, across the country. So going from a central location to the East coast, going to a new environment, but it sounded like the entire time you've kept an open mind. You've said, Hey, this is something new, but at the same time, trusting that the process, it it takes, uh, it takes time. And it sounds like you were very humble in the understanding of that. Uh, And every single time, like you said, you got a little bit of money, bought a little bit more gear, bought a little bit more, more barbells, more weights, more to continue to hone your craft. But you never, it sounds like you never Maybe you did um, in the short term, but in the long term, you've never rushed it. You never said like, we got to be at 10,000 square feet tomorrow. No, um, um, the only, you know, there was only, I think there was only really one time in, you know, the last, you know, so I, we, we've been in business for over seven years now, you know, and this journey is still continuing. Hopefully on January 1, we make, make our next big leap into Vanessa being here full time. There was only really one time where we felt like there was any pressure to to absolutely have to grow, and it was when we moved from renting a space hourly to renting a space that was solely ours. And I mean, the we went from you know fifteen hundred square feet that we paid five hundred dollars a month for <laughs> to four thousand square feet that we're paying four thousand dollars a month for. You know, at the time we we're like, we have the monthly revenue to cover rent and nothing else. <laughs> we got to figure it out. And, you know, magically we figured it out plus my $1,100 of profit I needed to have to survive. And, uh, you know, all along the way, I just, that, that moment too was just another moment of like, we got to figure it out. And we did. And, you know, I got a feeling by the time we get to January 1st, when we're hoping that Vanessa's, you know, out full time, that we're going to do the same thing. Cause you know, at this point there's been no failure and, you know, we got to figure it out. We figured it out. So Hopefully the track record record stays stays rolling. There we go. Well, I definitely want to get that story. I want to get the part two. I want to see the process of um, in January. What was it like getting getting your wife to to move over to the gym full time? Um, what was that process like? Uh, as you said, it's 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 still ongoing. It's not yep. a smooth transition from one day to the next. But we definitely want to have a part two coming yeah, up in January sure. to, to have you back on and and kind of talk about that. For sure. Yeah. So it puts a little bit of more pressure on her. On us, on her, <laughs> to make it happen too. Pressure, accountability. Yes. It's, it's the same. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Well, Brian, I thank you so much for jumping on. Again, I love the name Jungle Gym. Uh, I think that's an awesome name to put, to, to turn into a uh, CrossFit gym and make it fun um, for anyone coming in. So that's awesome. So congrats on everything you've accomplished so far and what you're thanks, going to Greg. accomplish. And thanks for coming on Two Brain Stories. All right. Thanks, Greg. We'll see you later. All right. Yep. Bye-bye.